What is it that causes us to be so displeased with our bodies? What's fueling this? Well, today we'll discuss the cultural and heart issues that give this particular bondage such a strong grip. And meanwhile, we'll be discussing six strategies to break free from the body shame trap. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Food Freedom and Faith Podcast. I'm your imperfect host, Cheryl Sharko, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and biblical counselor, here to get real with you, my sisters in Christ. Yep, I'm talking to you who struggle with restrictive food rules, chronic dieting, yo-yo diets, emotional eating, and other issues that consume your life, your joy, and your peace. So get your comfy pants on like I did and get ready for some real talk about this journey, real nutrition information, and some real solutions so you can live a life in true food freedom and faith. So whether we like it or not, we're very affected by the secular world that we live in. Whether it's through TV or advertising or social media, even packages on the products that we buy, we're being influenced constantly by these secular messages day by day, sometimes hour by hour. Even if we could abstain from all the media influence, those we spend our time with are already influenced by it, and they in turn are influencing us. The secular media's reach truly is unavoidable. And one of the main messages the culture is giving, whether directly or indirectly, is that everyone's expected to look a certain way, be a certain shape or size, and do everything within their power to get as close to that ideal image as possible. Social media platforms are, by now I'm certain you know, full of, quote, ideals. Ideal faces, ideal bodies, ideal family relationships, ideal homes and decoration, ideal celebrations, even picture-perfect meals. This vortex on its face is pretty irrational, but yet it's so effective. Why are we so susceptible to it? And why are we so trapped by it? Well, the world around us is relentlessly promoting certain values, often discreetly. They're not always or usually even spoken clearly, but we sure pick up these messages. These are messages such as thinness is more valuable than physical or mental well-being, or attractiveness is far more important than character or even just your personhood. These messages often assume that those who are thin or toned are the hardworking, self-disciplined ones, while those who are overweight by the ideal standards, well, they're the lazy ones or they lack willpower. And I just want to say quickly here that this is such a false association because many people actually struggle with being overweight or carrying that excess energy. Um, because they've just done so many restrictive diets over and over again, and these have had that weight gain backlash and that failure mentality associated with it. And these people have had to use far more willpower than most people just to do these and stick with them many times over. So that is not a true association at all. These messages also moralize body shapes. Uh, the messages make negative thoughts and statements about your own body normal. It normalizes negative talk about ourselves as far as our appearances go. The messages cause us to compare with others in terms of thinness or fatness. And weight loss derives compliments of, you know, looking good. You look good if you've lost some weight. 
The messages cause guilt for things that are not sin. And we talked about this a lot. You know, I've messed up on my eating. I didn't work out today. I gained a few pounds. And things that are not sin should not be carrying guilt. The message of the culture is highly fat phobic. Fat phobia is everywhere. There's such a diet shaming and food shaming, a fear of gaining weight and a little extra you know, poundage around certain areas of the body. And it also promotes fat shaming as a culture, whereas the people who don't fit that ideal are looked at or treated maybe as lesser in different areas. And it's also created a generation of children who are hearing these messages and hearing us mommies complaining about our fat or that we can't eat this because it's fattening or that we're really upset about some weight gain or our extreme measures that we're going to, those little ears are listening to you. They're listening to the messages that they're being bombarded with nonstop. And they're going to grow up believing that they have to conform to some impossible standards of beauty, just like we do. And speaking of which, this culture really encourages a pursuit of a body size that may be unhealthy for people and may not even be possible for many people. This leads to long-term problems, as we've talked about many times. Continual attempts to fit into this ideal image lead to distorted eating and eating disorders. But these messages are insidious and they're so pervasive that we've pretty much accepted them as normal, but they're not. They're not normal. They are common right now in this modern developed nation culture. But that was not the case forever, and it, was, and it is not the case in other places around the world. It is not normal. It's very abnormal, actually. Let's talk about some strategies, six strategies to help free us from this body shame trap. It might be better to say, let's look at wisdom to help us navigate the body shame trap, okay? So number one, let's start right off. Let's do a little cost-benefit analysis, so to speak. We need to ask ourselves, is the effort, the time, the money, the mental space that we put into this pursuit of the ideal body, the ideal image, is the payoff in proportion to that much effort Does it pay off in its importance as far as our lives go? Really? Truly? That's something to consider. That's something to weigh. Number two, we need to question the culture. So it's only in this time period, as I said, and in this geographic area that these standards are promoted of the very fit, very lean um, women, specifically. Uh, Look throughout history. We'll show you very quickly that that was not always considered beautiful. Different nations today even have more voluptuous standards. It's more like the opposite of whatever is normal in your culture is now what's considered beautiful, and maybe it always was. So when people were more impoverished and food was harder to come by, the larger people, the more voluptuous, or those who had more stored energy, were considered more beautiful. And that's still the case in other poorer nations in the world. Whereas now with an abundance of food, it is easier to be gaining weight and we have more sedentary lives. So the opposite of that 
is what's considered beautiful because it's a little more rare. Well, that by its very nature means it's going to be much harder for most people to attain if they can at all, which is what makes it rare. But yet we all are striving for that. So remember too, what's in vogue today, it's gonna change. It'll change soon enough. It always changes. It's not an objective standard. It is very subjective and it changes with the time and the culture and the place. And this will change. Number three, not only do we want to escape this body shame culture, but we want to be careful not to promote it as well. And here's what I mean by that. We all create and perpetuate this body shame culture together. And I know you're thinking, I would never do that. But when we see these ideal images portrayed everywhere we look, and we individually accept it as the norm and almost the challenge to achieve or the goal, we begin to pursue these things. And in doing so, we unintentionally promote them and empower them to others by following along. And on and on it goes. So we want to be careful not only to deal with our own lives in this area and our own hearts, but to be careful that we are not giving weight to these worldly, ideal, superficial standards. Number four, here's where we're going to start to do the deep heart work within ourselves, prayerfully. I want you to think, what will change in your heart, in your mind, in your body, in your well-being, in your happiness, in your joy, in your health and finances? If you were to achieve, finally achieve the look, the golden ring, the holy grail, that you've been trying to achieve or that you want? Is it going to make you different? Is it going to make everything in your life good and happy and better? Will you never have a problem? Will you not have a health issue? Will your relationships be all better? Are you going to have peace, joy, rest, those things that come only through Christ? Well, no, of course not. Wherever you go, there you are. And as someone who's been thin, who's been heavy, who's been wealthier, who's been poorer, I can tell you I was still me in all of those situations. And even though there's that rush, that moment of achievement, it fades and you're stuck with you. And even though that might not be the discontent anymore, the discontent's coming from the heart. And it'll find something else to settle on, something else that you need to achieve or need to have or need to be, because it's a heart issue. And to help you understand whether or not your life is going to change in the the deep heart things, if you get the look, the ideal body, the ideal image, well, just ask yourself, have other experiences and achievements in your life done that? Have you gotten lasting peace and joy and happiness by your last achievements that you thought would bring that? Something to ask ourselves, right? Okay, number five. And this one's going to take a little longer to flesh out. This one's got more meat to it. And again, we're dealing with some of the deeper heart issues now. So number five is recognize that this body shame, fat shame culture, it cannot have, it cannot have such a stronghold on us without it speaking to something in our own hearts. In other words, it's grabbing onto something 
and it's grabbing on tightly, what is it grabbing onto within us that's giving it such a foothold? We want to have some serious self-reflection, asking God to show us our hearts, to recognize where those worldly messages are connecting with us so powerfully and effectively. As we go through this number five and you know, looking at our hearts and what's grabbing hold of us, let's remember a couple things. Of course, we want to first look at this from a biblical perspective. So first, let's compare this mindset to Scripture. Well, all the things that I've been talking about, this ideal image, uh, body shame because we're not meeting that, all of those things, it's pretty easy to see that these ideals are based on superficiality and temporal beauty, Right? either personal or lifestyle beauty. And so what does scripture say? Well, Proverbs 31 tells us that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's a standing of the heart before God that is what God determines as beauty, not the external. Beauty, as God defines it and therefore as we need to see it, is nothing external at all. Those things are temporal. Those things fade very quickly, as we said. They change. You know, think of fashions from the past. We certainly don't find them as attractive now. And in the future, we won't find these standards attractive. But God's definition of beauty, that never changes. It never fades. It's objective truth. And we need to remember and align our understanding and our description and identification of beauty with God's. Also, all of this that we've been talking about, it's a very worldly focus, and we're not to be like the world. If we want to attain the standards of the world and we want to be like them, what are we doing? We're loving the world. And the second thing is that before looking at what fuels this fire— It's important that we all keep this in mind as well. Jesus loves sinners and came to save sinners. God loves us and he counts all Christians as righteous because Jesus died for sinners and paid the full penalty for their sin. Therefore, for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. We cannot forget these things when we necessarily now go and talk about what is fueling the body shame trap and its grip on us because this fuel is our sin nature. But when we pull out those seeds of sin and look at them and we experience that conviction, which is good, we should not be understanding that as condemnation There's no condemnation for Christians. We Christians are all in the process of sanctification or becoming more like Christ. And the key word here is process. We will never be perfected or fully free of sin until we're in heaven. We are going to talk about the different temptations that draw us into this body shame trap. We need to remember, though, that God is so good and kind to us that He's provided a way out of these temptations for His children. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So even in that, even after all He's done for us, He still has not left us alone. He's still helping us out of it. 
Okay, so now that we've looked at all that, let's actually talk about that fifth strategy, identifying that heart world connection. So what is it in our own hearts that this worldly message, this worldly culture is gripping so tightly and entrapping us with? The first one is that we often are seeking the approval of others. Body shame is birthed out of seeking approval of men as a consuming goal, right? And when we want to keep up with the standards of others, it's really similar to the peer pressure that we had experienced as teenagers. It's all about seeking the approval of man. It may look a little different, but the root is still the same. We want others to approve of us and think well of us, not really focusing on what God wants. The second one, pride. Of course, pride, right? Likewise, in order for this body shame to be so deeply entrenched, it must feed off our pride. It has to. We have to look a certain way. We have to hold up in comparison to others. (laughs) Whoops. You know, people think pride means that we just feel so good about ourselves. We're really cocky. We're really self-confident. But that's actually not correct. Pride often presents itself as, you know, what we would call insecurity or sometimes you hear low self-esteem or feeling less than, I'm not as good, I don't measure up. But that is pride because pride is really any form of self-focus and valuing my own opinion over God's word. Pride causes me to think about myself a lot. Pride is all about me, whether the words come out in self-praise or self-flagellation, it's all the same. It's still pride. It's about me focusing on me, how I measure up, worried about my own importance and how I'm measuring up there. Third is lack of love. It's actually a lack of love. The body shame trap exemplifies a lack of love from others and for others. So think about it. If we're wanting to compare ourselves with others and kind of rate ourselves against others in order to feel good about ourselves, well, that's not loving others. We're trying to put ourselves above them. It's not love. We're not loving people when we're doing that. When we're afraid of the judgment of others regarding how we look, which is what this really is, we're not understanding or expecting love from them. Not to mention, why are we assuming that they are thinking negatively about us or judging us? We are putting things on them that they may not be thinking at all. Again, not a loving act to them or giving their love the benefit of the doubt. That is not love. You know, we don't want to create or accept a church culture that makes us all afraid of being real with each other. Look, sisters, we are all in it together. If we're afraid of not measuring up to some worldly ideal that we've brought into the church, these superficial things, we're not going to be open and real with one another, and then other people are not going to be able to be open and real with us. We are there to love one another, to build each other up, to be honest and humble with each other, to help one another grow in the sanctification process, to become complete, to be ready to meet Christ someday. That is the job of the body of Christ. We women in our relationships with each other, we sisters in the body, this is our job to be more humble and more vulnerable and more real and not allow such worldly standards of ideals and body image and 
reading ourselves and comparing, we need to have an openness of we're going to love one another and actually be effective helpers to one another. The fourth one is forgetting our identity. When body shame runs rampant in our lives, it's because we bought into the world's idea of worth and value as human beings. We've taken what the world says makes us valuable and we've bought it hook, line, and sinker. So when we don't measure up to that, and I'm talking about body shame because that's the most specific thing for our focus here, but in any way that we don't measure up and therefore are ashamed of that, well, we've bought into the world's idea of value and worth. But we need to remember these three things specifically. We are image bearers of God. He created us in his image. Also, we were purchased by Christ's precious blood. It was a very costly purchase, the most costly purchase of all time. And we were purchased by Christ to be his bride. We are his. We are loved and we are protected and we are his. Third, we are also adopted as children of God and and we're given an inheritance with Christ, which we certainly didn't earn. We never could earn. So we're image bearers of God, made in his image, purchased by Christ's precious blood as his bride, adopted as God's children, given an eternal inheritance with Christ forever and ever. Do we really need worldly standards to determine value of human beings, our worth as children of God? No, we don't. And why would we want that substitute? Why do we buy into that and put our time and effort into that? It's because the messages are just nonstop, and we need to be aware of that. So our identity really has to be seen, must be reframed in light of what God says identity is, in light of what God says our beauty is, in light of what God says love is. All right, so that was number five. And before I get to number six and final strategy for getting out of this body shame trap, let me just review the first five again. So the first was to kind of do that cost-benefit analysis and ask yourself, is the effort that I'm putting into this pursuit in proportion to its importance in my life really? Number two is questioning the culture about its definitions of beauty and how temporal that is. And is that a real objective thing or is it just a here and now thing? Number three, we want to not only escape the body shame culture, but we want to be careful not to promote it by going along with it and unintentionally being part of this big machine. Number four is where we started those deep heart questions. If you achieve all that you're hoping to achieve in this body image or ideal image and persona, how does that change your heart? How does that really make your life better? Does it? Or are we looking in the wrong place for things like peace and joy, happiness, even love? You know, you're not going to be more worthy of love if you look a certain way or have a certain image. And number five was that recognizing that we can't be this enslaved to body image and body shame and fat shaming and ideal image culture if it's not grabbing something inside our hearts. And so we went through that. The last strategy, number six, is the most important by far, but it's also, if you've listened to this at all, 
it's not going to be the surprising one. Be thankful. Now, the ultimate reason that you and I struggle with body shame is that we're not thankful for the bodies that God has given us. The human body is really unfathomable. You know, when I was taking my anatomy and physiology courses, I was blown away every day reading about the intricacies of the human body. It's astounding. It's astounding on every level. And it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and more intricate and more fascinating and more unfathomable and more amazing. And I remember thinking every time, there is no way to learn about the human body or anything in creation and dismiss that a powerful God made it. There is no way. You have to do some serious self-deception to get there. It is fascinating. There is no other explanation for it. There's nothing else like the human body. And the more we learn about it, the more we really ought to be awed by it and grateful for it and not practice ingratitude by wanting something we don't have, wanting more. God, what you gave me, yeah, it's okay, but it's not good enough. You haven't seen rightly in this situation, God. I mean, you you made a little mistake here. No, he knows what he's doing, and we need to be very, very grateful for the bodies that he's given us. They're fascinating, even with handicaps, even with disabilities. They're amazing. Our bodies are a fascinating creation and gift of God. As the culture, you'll see, becomes more ungrateful to God for what he's clearly made and kind of refuses to acknowledge his hand in it and his doing, you can see the more troubled their hearts and lives are becoming. We see this detailed out in Romans 1. We see that this ingratitude and lack of acknowledgement of what God has done and the effects to those in the world. And then 2 Timothy also, in chapter 3, verse 2, it describes the outcomes of the lovers of self who are just not thankful to God. But it shouldn't be like this for we who know Him. You know, We really have no excuse for ingratitude because we do know, even if it's just at a mental level and it hasn't really absorbed us and consumed us, even on a mental level, we do know what he's done. We do know all of his blessings. And for us to live with ingratitude and discontent, well, that's going to cause a kind of cognitive dissonance and that's going to have some static in us. We're going to have some soul troubles there because it just doesn't match up. God has graciously and sovereignly given us so much, including our bodies, and to live with ingratitude towards what he's giving us, we're going to have heart troubles. We're going to have mind and thought and soul issues. So we need to be thankful and think of this rightly. Now, if you find the seeds of unthankfulness to God, or I should say when we find the seeds of unthankfulness to God, because we all deal with this sin— Let's humble ourselves. Let's come near to him. Let's repent and remember that he promises to cleanse and help us with this. Woo-woo. He has not left us without a solution. He has not left us even in this. We look at something that seems so surfacey and worldly and outside of God's realm like body shame, and we feel alone and cast out over in the corner with it. But it's a heart issue, and God does address these deeper root issues of that and is faithful to help when we come to Him in repentance and faith. It's amazing. So we want to be as wise as serpents, right? We need to be discerning and understand what drives this culture. 
and then make every effort not to be a part of it or to fuel it for others. You know, sisters, we do not belong stuck in this worldly way of thinking or in valuing ourselves or others. We don't live to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God alone. In fact, when we're imperfect, this is the best part, when we're imperfect and He works through us and does good through us, He gets all the glory for it, for all the good things that happen to and through us, because clearly we could not have done that. Now, again, it's important to remember that we're going to continually be confronted by our sins in this walk. And so we are allowed to take that and we can repent of these sins and be free, completely free from their ensnarement. This is the process of sanctification and it is a hope-filled process. It's important to remember too that God is for you. He is for you during this time and this struggle because it's part of the sanctification process. And he's the one actually working the change toward holiness in us so we can trust him to continue this work of growth because of his grace and his love. Now, if you'd like to read some more about the body shame trap and how you can be free of it, visit my blog post called Escape the Diet Culture with me at CherylSharko.com and you just click on the blog tab there and you'll see that blog post. And you can get a little more detailed walkthrough of this. And until next time, let's all remember 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. See you soon, my sisters.